Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Hey, everybody. This is Chris Melanfi, host of Hit Parade, Slate's podcast of pop chart history. Welcome to The Bridge. Everybody wants to find graffiti bridge. Something to believe. That's Prince's Graffiti Bridge from the 1990 movie and album of the same name. The film and soundtrack were Prince's attempt to bridge his career from the 80s into the 90s. And the song talks about a heaven above. In other words, the afterworld, a longtime lyrical obsession of the late Prince. It's one last callback to our Hit Parade live show last month about posthumous hits and hit makers from the great beyond. And these mini-episodes bridge our full-length monthly Hit Parade episodes, give us a chance to catch up with listeners, and enjoy some trivia. This month, I'm excited to welcome two very special guests, co-hosts of their own amazing podcast about how pop music works, Vox's Switched on Pop. Please welcome songwriter Charlie Harding and musicologist Nate Sloan. Hey, guys. Hello. That's hey, uh, so amazing to hear your voices on my podcast. Uh, I've been I've had you guys in my ears for uh, so many months now. It's it's a long time coming. Yeah. Well, I I feel like we were kind of willed together Wonder Twins power style because I, <laughs> not only do we tweet at each other all the time, but uh, there have been several listeners of our respective podcasts who've been saying for a while that we should probably team up and, uh, you know, give the people what they want, I guess, is my philosophy. Totally. Yeah. We could either fight to the death or uh, <laughs> combine forces. And I'm glad we've chosen the latter. Super team. Right. I mean, if we've learned nothing from Avengers Endgame, the, the joint forces <laughs> thing is the way to go. For those who are not familiar with Switched on Pop, and frankly, if you're a Hit Parade listener, you totally should be. Please tell our listeners what your podcast brings to the table each week and, and what you guys do that's particular to Switched on Pop. Sure. So Switched on Pop is all about deconstructing the making and meaning of popular music. So we're going to take a song, an album, an artist or some essential musical idea and really try to get to some essential truth about that thing. And we do that by by listening and looking at the entire language of music, whether that's going to be timbre or rhythm or form or melody or harmony. And we try to present it in a way where it ends up being like the most fun music mm -hmm. class you've ever been in yeah. and mm -hmm. a healthy discussion between two strong-headed people who often uh, have different opinions <laughs> while uh, bringing in some of the best um, songwriters, producers, and journalists in the, in the music industry to help us uh, get to whatever that core idea is. Yeah. You can just say nerds. Yeah. Nerds. We're nerds. We're big, nerd, big music nerds. Nerd is a good four-letter word on this podcast, so you're among friends here. <laughs> um, last month's Hit Parade uh, was all about hit makers from the great beyond. Uh, as I like to say, it was from Buddy to Biggie, Otis to Janice, Freddie to Kurt. Mm. Uh, and it was uh, our live episode among deceased hit makers. Uh, you know, whose work and, and whose death, I guess, most affected you as music fans? Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it's funny. This is someone... We 
we must be on the same wa- same wavelength, Chris, because uh, it's who you kicked off the show with. Uh, the death of Prince just just rocked me. Um, f- first of all, because uh, it was it was an, he's an artist that I'd heard you know was so incredible live, and I never saw him, and so that was just mm, a little selfishly. <laughs> that was just like so so hard, and I just and he's someone who I you know you you just felt like he still had so much music so much creativity still left so that was a tough one uh for me but at the same time i can comfort myself a little because his influence is just all over the the Mm. sound of of contemporary pop music so he's gone but at least you know his his sound remains yeah you know when i wrote about prince uh basically it was my memoriam slash obituary for him when he died in april of 2016 i talked about how you can still hear his influence on you know current music right up to the 2010s um in fact there's probably some records that have come out this year that you know have his fingerprints all over them or you know very recently oh no doubt we just uh discussed on our podcast actually the new album by lizzo because i love you which just is is so indebted to prince and, and the minneapolis sound throughout He's an artist who I think will continue to resonate for a long time. Um, his, his, his that DIY approach of being in the the studio playing every instrument, creating these genre bending textures like that's not going anywhere. What about you, Charlie? Recently was the passing of Leonard Cohen actually, and part of this was that I actually came to his music quite late, actually towards the end of his life, and I felt that his uh, his albums, Old Ideas, and um, You Want It Darker, mm-hmm. those were 2012 and 2016, mm-hmm. were some of the most poignant lyrics about life, death, uh, and I felt like it was some of the most compelling work that I had heard in in all of contemporary music. And I think oftentimes there is a sort of a trope that all the best work happens early on. And I think is a great demonstration that uh, w- wisdom and experience can add to the songwriting process. You want it darker. We kill the flame. Magnified, sanctified, be thy holy name. Vilified, crucified in the human frame. A million candles burning for the help that never came. You want it darker. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
Now comes the time in our monthly Hit Parade the Bridge episode where we do some trivia. And joining us today uh, from Long Beach, California, is Eli. Eli, are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, Eli, how are you? All right, how's it going? As uh, you may have heard, we have uh, two very special guests on the line with us, uh, Nate Sloan and Charlie Harding from the uh, podcast Switched on Pop. So uh, they may be chiming in on your uh, your trivia round as well. Hello. Hello, Eli. Hello. I understand, uh, Eli, that you are a Slate Plus member. Is that correct? I am indeed. Fantastic. Uh, about how long have you been a Slate Plus member? Oh, just a couple of months. Um, part of why I joined was, uh, well, I've always loved Dear Prudence, but then with Hit Parade and being introduced to that, I was like, well, I consume enough content. I should probably support y'all. So here I am. We hugely appreciate that. So uh, that is a useful moment for me to remind everyone that uh, while this bridge episode is available to all Hit Parade subscribers, we only open our trivia rounds to Slate Plus members. So if you are a member and would like to be a trivia contestant, visit slate.com slash Hit Parade sign up. That's slate.com slash Hit Parade sign up. So, Eli, I think you probably know how this works, but one more time, we're going to ask you three trivia questions. The first one is a callback to our most recent full-length episode, and the last two are a preview of our next full-length episode. Are you ready for some trivia? I am. Fantastic. Here we go. Question one. In last month's live episode of Hit Parade, we played a number of posthumous hits. Several of the artists we played even went to number one after their death, like Otis Redding, the first ever posthumous chart topper on the Hot 100. But one artist scored two posthumous number one hits in the year of his death. Who was it? A. Buddy Holly, B. John Lennon, C. Kurt Cobain, or D. The Notorious B.I.G.? The answer is D. The Notorious B.I.G. Wow, you didn't even need a second on that one. Nice job. That is Whoa, exactly that was correct. decisive. Yeah, wow. I uh, love hip hop. What can I say? Completely stumped. So kudos, Eli. Yes, indeed. It was the Notorious B.I.G. in 1997. In the months just after his death, he topped the Hot 100 with both Hypnotize and Mo Money Mo Problem. One down, two to go. Uh, now we're going to ask you some uh, questions about the next episode. Are you ready? As ready as I'll ever be, given uh, this is going to be more of a surprise. Here we go. Question two. At 1985's Live Aid concert, the most omnipresent performer was Phil Collins, who played at both Live Aid venues in London and Philadelphia and with several rock luminaries. Which of these rock legends did not play with Collins that day? A. The Temptations, B. Led Zeppelin, C. Sting, or D. Eric Clapton? Uh, hmm, that's, hmm, you know, I'll, I'll just take a guess and say A. The Temptations? Amazing, that is correct. Two for two. Two for two. I know, right? So what's tricky about this question is that two of the Temptations, David Ruffin and Eddie Kendrick, did indeed perform at Live Aid, but with Daryl Hall and John Oates, not Phil Collins. All of the other rockers performed with Phil. All right, you're running the table here, Eli. I would have thought that uh, Sting would have played with Stuart Copeland, so you totally stumped me as well. Dang. <laughs> See, you're beating our uh, our uh, special guest hosts. Nice job, Eli. I, uh, I'll try to keep that streak going. All right. Well, you're two for three right now. Here comes question three. Here we go. 
One year after Live Aid, Collins helped his longtime group Genesis score their first and only number one hit on the Hot 100. What was that one Genesis pop chart topper? A. That's All. B. Invisible Touch. C. Land of Confusion. Or D. I Can't Dance. Ooh, okay. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to guess D, I Can't Dance. Oh, I'm sorry. The correct answer was B, Invisible Touch. It went to number one in the summer of 1986 after Collins had already scored four number one hits on his own. He would go on to score three more, but Genesis would never top the Hot 100 again. Eli, don't worry about it. Nate in the studio here was he was going C, C, C. So he got it wrong, too. <laughs> I haven't gotten a single one right. I guess you guys are Land of Confusion fans. I have to do some soul searching after this. I'm just going to have to take a long, hard look in the mirror after my poor performance here. But congrats, Eli. You're an inspiration to us all. Seriously, two for three is nothing, uh, nothing to sneeze at. So nice job, Eli. And now, of course, uh, is the time in Hit Parade the Bridge where uh, you get to turn the tables on me and ask me a trivia question. Uh, do you have a question for me? I do indeed. All right. Lay it on me. Peter Gabriel's video for Sledgehammer won nine MTV Video Music Awards in 1987 and is reportedly one of MTV's most played music videos of all time. The groundbreaking video features claymation, pixelation, and stop-motion animation, and was directed by Stephen R. Johnson. Johnson also directed which music video that features elements of claymation and stop-motion animation? Your choices are A. Sober by Tool B. Road to Nowhere by the Talking Heads C. Fell in Love with a Girl by the White Stripes or D. I Stay Away by Allison Ooh, Chains. This is an excellent question. Do you guys have any idea, Nate and Charlie? I have a guess. Yeah, I have a guess. But I'm not going to tell you. you. I'm not, I'm not right. help, we're not helping you. <laughs> no fair for me asking for help. Uh, I know I can eliminate Fell in Love with a Girl because I believe Michelle Gondry did that oh, one. Oh, then we're, we're already, we're, our guess is already wrong. Yeah, we're wrong. <laughs> so you're, you're on your own. Anyway. Uh, darn it. Um, I'm going to go for Tool A. That is incorrect. The answer is B, Road to Nowhere by the Talking Heads. Stephen R. Johnson directed three music videos for Peter Gabriel, which were Big Time, Steam, and Sledgehammer. And he also directed the videos for Road to Nowhere by the Talking Heads and The Bug and Walk of Life by Dire Straits. Johnson directed the Talking Heads video a year before doing Sledgehammer. According to the book by Rob Tannenbaum and Craig Marks, I Want My MTV, the uncensored story of the music video revolution, music industry veteran Jeff Aroff showed Peter Gabriel a clip of the Talking Heads video and said, quote, I want you to work with Steven Johnson on Sledgehammer. I didn't even like the song, frankly, Steven Johnson said of Sledgehammer, adding, quote, but Peter Gabriel took me to dinner, got me drunk on wine, and I agreed to do it. That is a great tidbit. 
Okay, this much I do know. If you know anything about the Sledgehammer video and how painstaking that video was to make, can you picture living with a song you don't like that much that long? Like, Steven Johnson had a lot of work to do on that video. I hope he grew to like the song. Maybe he got Stockholm Syndrome and just really started loving it. Who knows? <laughs> you know, I often say when I'm writing about a song for why is this song number one, and I should really ask Charlie and Nate if they do this too, I eventually grow to love a lot of the songs that I didn't like at first. Oh, yeah. Uh, in fact, I think you guys just said something to that effect about the latest Taylor Swift song on a recent episode of your podcast. So Stockholm Syndrome with pop songs is real, people. It's it's a thing. Absolutely. All right. Well, you stumped me fair and square, Eli. Um, thank you very much for that excellent question and that great uh, trivia tidbit. And um, I uh, appreciate uh, you being on our program today. It was a pleasure to be here. <laughs> All right. Take care. You know, I even read I Want My MTV Admittedly, I read it a few years ago, but I feel like I totally should have known that there was some commonality between Road to Nowhere and Sledgehammer since they came a year apart, right? Like, how embarrassed should I be for not getting that trivia question? As a listener from the 80s, you do have a musicological finger of shame pointing at you, unfortunately. Sorry, Chris. I think that's true. <laughs> no, I think you're right. So, of course, I want to take full advantage of the fact that I've got Charlie and Nate on the show with me today and go uh, in a musicological direction um, since we've now revealed that the next full-length episode of Hit Parade is going to be about Genesis, Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel. Mm -hmm. I would love to pick both of your brains yep. on uh, the musicological legacy of um, particularly Phil Collins as a drummer. Yeah. Um, you know, he's one of my favorite drummers. When I talk about 80s drummers, for me, it's... It's kind of between him and Stuart Copeland of The Police. Um, they're almost polar opposites, one with a very light touch, the other with probably the heaviest of heavy touches. But what do you guys think Phil Collins brought to the table uh, musically? Oh, my gosh. I think that if we listen to Just In The Air Tonight, mm -hmm. the, the thing that everyone, of course, knows about In The Air Tonight is the ending bombastic drum <laughs> outro. Most monstrous drum break of it's, all time. Yeah, it's <laughs> spectacular. But we we kind of forget, or or at least I had, that the song begins with a drum machine, the Roland CR seventy eight drum machine. Yes. One of the earliest mm -hmm. sort of pseudo programmable drum machines came out in nineteen seventy eight, um, and it's the precursor to the eight oh eight. You know, the the sort of essential drum machine which defined hip hop and contemporary music. Right. And what we're hearing at the beginning of this track is that drum machine, which is providing just a very sparse rhythm with that uh, languid prophet synthesizer sound and Phil Collins heavily reverberated voice. And so we, we, when we finally get that big, wild drum solo at the end, it really does surprise us because we've moved from this digitally sound to a you know a, a natural sound but something carries over which is unnatural and that's what we really need to focus on which is the gated reverb i am very familiar with the gated reverb i mean it was the sound of 80s drums you know and it, and it extended past things that phil collins himself did I guess we should probably break down what 
why they call it a gated reverb and, and why it sounded so monstrous, so thick, because that's what's so fascinating. It was, it was kind of a combination of traditional drumming, but with a digital overlay. Um, and it's almost like a, a battle between, you know, one of the most famous drummers of all time and, you know, the machine that in theory could have replaced Technology, him, but of course yeah. didn't replace him, right? Right, right. Um, but but then but then the gated drum sound is this interesting hybrid between, to your point, traditional drumming and what digital technology as we enter the 80s is allowing you to do. That's exactly right. And I want to help break down this idea of what this sound is because it is so essential in it and we hear it today so much. And it's sort of a non-obvious thing, but you know it when you hear it. In breaking this down, I, I do have to give a big shout out to the Earworm series from Vox, who did an amazing piece on the Gator Reverb. Uh, we're part of the Vox Media Network. And uh, in this piece, what we learn about is the history of like so much technological innovation. The Gated Reverb is a mistake. It happens by accident. And actually, Phil Collins is drumming in a in a drum room, a famous drum room, which has a lot of natural room sound reverb, right? We're in recording studios right now, which don't have any reverb, but uh, that echo can be extremely uh, desirable in a recording. It makes it come alive. It makes it sound like it's in a space. And uh, they actually just had an extra uh, talkback mic, the microphone that would allow Phil Collins to talk back into the, the studio on the other side of the wall. And that microphone had a strong compressor and a strong gate. That would what would happen is that the sound of the drum would go through and the sound of the drum and the reverb would go through that microphone. And then the gate basically cuts off a sound if it's too quiet. And what the effect of this was is basically you had this big cavernous sound that sounds. And then as the sound sort of tails off, it just chops off. And uh, this is what the recording engineer on the other side of the room heard. And uh the rest is sort of history. They're like, that's a cool sound. It actually makes the drum sound even bigger. But it's this unnatural thing where it sounds like you're in a cavern that gets cut off, at, it gets clipped. And that sound is the sound, it, it's most heavily applied to the snare drum. So rather than like a, you get a kind of sound. It's like if you played a snare drum in a cathedral and then had a giant shoebox that you could just put over that cathedral and <laughs> muffle the reverberant sound right as it sort of reached its peak and you had a microphone in there capturing that whole thing that's the sound of gated reverb Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for walking me through uh, the gated drum sound and uh, Phil Collins' role in creating it. Um, as we've now previewed for our listeners, the next episode is going to be about what I'm going to call the uh, hit-making universe of Genesis. Uh, this band that started as a prog rock band in the 70s and wound up spawning uh, multiple successful uh, spin-off careers, including Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel. Uh, even their guitarist, Mike Rutherford, uh, wound up being a hitmaker in the 1980s and kind of defining the sound of pop and rock in the 1980s. So listen for that uh, toward the end of May. 
but for now, guys, I can't thank you both enough for uh, being on Hit Parade, The Bridge. Much appreciated. Um, how can folks uh, get in touch with you? Well, Chris, first of all, thank you to you as well. This is so much fun. We're going to do some more crossovers, including in some upcoming uh, writing that we're putting out where you've been a great source for us. So for Switched On Pop, you can obviously find it anywhere you get your podcast. We're on Vox. So we definitely recommend checking out Switched On Pop switchonpop.com. You can talk to us on Instagram or on Twitter at switchedonpop. Fantastic. I seriously recommend the podcast highly. It is educational every single episode, and uh, it's uh, one of the most uh, pleasurable uh, podcasts that I listen to. So my deepest thanks to Charlie Harding and Nate Sloan. And for Hit Parade the Bridge, I'm Chris Melanfi. Keep on marching on the one. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. <laughs>